Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about our show, please go to Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Welcome back. Our first story today we're going to discuss is from 750.com. And once again, one of Kim's favorite subjects of bubbly wine, the science of pet nat wines. And Kim, please explain to our listeners what this is. So this is a style of wine that has been around for hundreds of years, but is not very familiar with most of the American wine drinking public. Pet nat is what we refer to these wines as. It's a shortening of petillante natural which is a it's an abbreviated production of sparkling wine so it's not a champagne style so the way that champagne is made there are it's a multi-step process so you make a base wine and then a second fermentation step takes place where that wine has a little bit of extra yeast and a little bit of extra sugar added to it it's capped up and then that yeast eats the sugar and produces a little bit more alcohol but more importantly carbon dioxide bubbles that are trapped in that wine and trapped in that bottle and that is where you get the sparkle in your sparkling wine from great job with the french there kim uh, thanks yeah my, my french not so great my italian's okay so this is a what they call a fizzante style so less pressure has a crown cap as you said and it's also mostly unfined so it's usually a cloudy wine so right. i think a lot of people see that and it might be a big turnoff for trying. Yeah, it's kind of different because it is a little bit more rustic. It's not made in this way that you have these really fine bubbles and you have a big pop, but you also have a crystal clear wine. It's a little more kind of touch and go. And it's, it's interesting reading different articles and things about this style of wine because there's still a lot of experimentation that goes on with it and a lot of necessarily know what you're going to get out of your bottle. So that's really different for us, not only as consumers of wine, but also as educators who teach people about wine, because you know we're sometimes we're so much about the consistency of if you like this wine, then this is what it's going to taste like. But for these pet nat wines, sometimes they're sweeter, sometimes they're drier, sometimes they have more bubbly, sometimes they're a little bit more cloudy. So they're a little more in the part of the natural wine movement that we speak about every once in a while. I was thinking exactly that, Kim. It's very similar to the natural wines because it's a guessing game when you open it. You don't know how the finished product will result until you pop that cap off it. And you were talking about the champagne. Now, champagne, they remove all that dead yeast and get it out of the ball. They want it to look nice and bright. But with these wines, they let it develop in the ball. And that's why you get that cloudiness. Right. Because they're made with only one step. So it doesn't have the multiple steps that champagne method sparkling wines have. It's just the fermentation and they stop it sort of in the middle. So they do call it an an interrupt fermentation. So they start making the wine and then they reach a level where they have the amount of sweetness that they want left in it. And then they stop the fermentation. So you have this little bit of bubble. It's usually about, I don't know, but maybe half the amount of pressure in these these wines than you have in champagne. And you're left with a little bit of sweetness sometimes and a little bit of sparkle and a little bit of that kind of just extra crud in the bottle that doesn't leave it crystal clear. But a lot of flavor, a lot of 
interesting, I think, aromas that really tell the terroir of the site that the wines come from, where the grapes come from. And the winemakers can really put a lot of their unique personalities in these wines as well. I think as wine drinkers and consumers in the United States, we're spoiled by seeing bright, clean wines all the time. So every time I try one of these, I have a problem looking at it cloudy. Yeah. I think it's like an adventure. I I don't feel that's what consumers want. Maybe if you're geeky and want to try a different style, this is for you. But if you like that bright, clean looking, sparkling, bubbly wine. Yeah, I definitely think this is for the adventurous wine drinker. There's something a little, I don't want to say scary about these wines, but there's a bit of a question mark that goes along with them. And I think that that is exciting personally. There's a big movement with these in the restaurant industry. It's a perfect wine for food and for for the sommeliers to shine with it. Yeah, and I can definitely see if you have a restaurant where you have a lot of experimental cuisine and you're trying to do something different and you're trying to stand out and you're looking to engage with an audience who likes that, that approach as well, that these wines would be a really nice fit. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us online at franklinliquors.com or my website, vinitaswineworks.com. A very interesting article from winesearcher.com talking about the aromas and flavors of chocolate in wine. So I went into reading this thinking that this was going to be an article about pairing red wines with chocolate, and it completely went off the rails into a totally different topic, which was very fascinating. Yes, we talk about that all the time, chocolate and wine pairing. I think you have an issue with that. I do kind of a little bit. I thought this was very interesting because I love when I discover some sort of cocoa note or flavor in a wine. And I stress that a lot in my tasting notes. Yeah, it's very cool. We're always talking about that your perceptions of the aromas and the flavors of a wine are very subjective, but sometimes it also can legitimately come down to the chemical makeup of that wine. So there are certain compounds that result from fermentation that can lead your nose and your palate to discern certain flavors and aromas in wine. And a big one results in sort of flavors of green bell pepper that people sometimes find in Sauvignon Blancs and in Cabernets. And a similar chemical compound can sometimes give us roasty, toasty smells of coffee and sometimes chocolate. So I was just going to ask you, how do you explain if you tell someone you, you are tasting or smelling cocoa in your, in your wine, so you would go more the compound route? Because I'm thinking, I mean, there's so many different they mentioned this article like yeasts or toasted oak so you would say I, it's more the compound i tend i tend to go with the yeah so sometimes when a certain wine grape variety is fermented and the interaction between the yeast and the grape juice that there are these chemical changes and then you get certain aromas and certain flavors because of that interaction so I, yeast does play a big part of it but sometimes i do default to the different molecular changes going on i'm wondering if they can make like a genetic yeast style that puts more pronounced cocoa. I think notes. they can. So yeah, because there are certain yeast strains that will be used to make certain kinds of wines because a certain yeast might bring out more fruity notes or more spicy notes or more floral notes. So yeah, that's totally something that winemakers pay attention to. And just like everything else in the wine world, not all tasters can taste a chocolate note in a wine. Right. So people will look at me funny when I say I smell cocoa or I'm tasting cocoa on the finish or I taste chocolate mint. Just the other 
day I had one, I thought that tasted like a Girl Scout chocolate thin oh, mint. That's interesting. And uh, no one else detected it. So I felt kind of bad about yeah. that. But, but also your idea of what is chocolate is different from somebody else's idea of what is chocolate. So you might be a milk chocolate eater. And so your conception of this is how I interpret chocolate might be different from somebody else who maybe does a lot of dark chocolate or a lot of real cocoa powder as opposed to a chocolate candy bar. So it really depends on your own perspective. Yeah. If you say chocolate, Kim, I don't care. I, what, <laughs> which type? I'm, I'm drinking it. That's so funny. the good thing in this article is they did describe certain regions and wine styles that you can find these notes. So I, I thought this was really helpful. This was really nice because they did bring, it's not just this whole conceptual idea of chemicals and molecules. It's like, okay, here are some wines to explore, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And they started with South American and Malbec and Cabernet. And I do totally get this on Cabernet from Argentina. Yeah. I get it more from some of the bigger red blends from South America. I thought that it was interesting that so many of the wines that they mentioned in this list also have a very pronounced earthy component. So big reds from Chile and reds from certain regions of Spain, South Africa. I find them to be really earthy sometimes. And I wonder if those flavors kind of go hand in hand with this particular person who's writing this article. That's an interesting take. Mm. I, I didn't get that, but yeah. I agree with you, but I don't <laughs> I don't pick that up when I taste those. But next they move on to the Priot region in Spain, which I totally get this on oaked wines from this region. Do you? Okay. Interesting. Do you pick it up on... They, they, I mean, they use a lot of oak. Yeah. And I find it... Most of my notes from this region in Spain, I always put some sort of cocoa thing yeah. going on. I do find it's important that you mentioned the oak part of it because that adds to the, the textural element that was also mentioned. Chocolate has a real... It can be creamy if it's a chocolate bar or it can be sort of rough if it's cocoa powder. And I think that the tannins and especially oak tannins play a really big part in that. What about the next region they went to, Kim? Australia Shiraz being chocolate. So Aussie Shiraz, at the beginning of this article, they mentioned that most of the wines that you find this chocolate or cocoa note in tend to be very ripe to overripe. And this is something that we often find in Australian Shirazes, especially from regions like Barroso or McLaren Vale, you know, places that get a lot of heat and a lot of sunshine. So I am not surprised at all that they mentioned Australian Shiraz here. Another region I usually don't pick up the notes, but I've always sold a wine called uh, Chocolate Box, which was an Australian Barossa mm-hmm. Shiraz. And people always just buy it thinking it's chocolate oh, that's- <laughs> flavored and it's just the name. So that's what made me think of yeah. Australia. Next, they went to uh, South Africa and saying uh, Syrah, which was right. unique. Syrah and all these other kind of Rhone blends is usually when you have Shiraz, be a wine that's being labeled Shiraz, it's the same grape variety as Syrah. But if you're labeling your wine Shiraz, it's going to be that bigger, riper, juicier style, whereas Syrah tends to be leaner and a little spicier and not quite as fruity. So I thought it was very interesting that they also brought up these Syrahs from South Africa because they don't tend to be that big, jammy, fruity red that we get from Australia. So very interesting. That brings up our buddy, the Pinotage grape from South Africa. (laughs) That At times you can get that cocoa note from that grape, but I typically don't get it from Syrah in this in this region. Mm. And uh, you mentioned the Rhone blends, very common that pick up that on a lot of the Rhone blends. Right. And then they also mentioned Merlot. And that's where I tend to find these chocolate notes is in very ripe Merlots, whether they're from France or whether they're from California. I do tend to get it going hand in hand with that rich red fruit 
flavor out of Merlot. Do you find that more in a cool climate, Merlot? No, warm, warm climate. Warm climate. Yeah, definitely warm climate. That's interesting. You have a good palate. Thanks, Mark. The next was Napa Cabernets and Blends. And totally get this a lot with the big, big, heavy Napa Cabs. Yeah, and they mentioned specifically kind of the more expensive ones. We're talking lots of oak, lots of attention to detail, perfectly ripened fruit. We're not talking your $15 bottle of California Cabernet here. You're talking the, we're talking the high-end stuff. Yeah, and most of the time it's very expensive oak that's being right, used. exactly. So I think that's probably the key factor mm-hmm. with that. And last, they talked about the modern style wines from the right bank region of Bordeaux, France. Right. So this is back to my Merlots here. You know, a lot of, I think the textural element comes into play here too, because you have sometimes those dusty tannins, which remind me of cocoa. And then when you add the oak to it too, you you kind of round out the whole thing. I like that they said modern style because they it seems like they're getting away from that earthy style fruit. Right. That modern style is that more fruit forward, riper, kind of what American consumers are a little bit more interested in. Now that we're talking about chocolate and oak, I was thinking a new candy bar, Kim. Can you age cocoa beans in wine oak barrels Hmm. and get that flavor, you think? I don't know. I'm not too familiar with how chocolate is made. I do know that they do need to age the beans and ferment the beans. So it's also a fermented product, which I think a lot of people don't know. But yeah, maybe there's more similarity between chocolate and wine that we thought i shouldn't think out loud my my trademark ideas on on the air right (laughs) (laughs) you've been exploring the wonderful world of wine with mark Lindsay and kim simone if you'd like to get more information about kim please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com if you'd like to get more information about myself please go to franklinliquors.com our next story is from the chicago tribune women especially millennials drive wine trends and i totally agree with this kim me too well you're uh, you're a woman so i I knew you agree i thought you'd say thanks for conceding the point or something so 60 percent of all consumers of wine are women big big number so i can see them setting trends based on a number alone Mm -hmm. i mean i i see this with a lot of the wine events that i do they are very female heavy and i don't know if that is because i'm the one doing them but i know in our wine club we certainly probably see that 60 40 or 70 30 women to men in the room women are also often the shoppers so we're the ones out there doing the buying so we're the ones who get to pick out the wines i suppose i was just going to say that most of the time we do events it's the women population is much larger than men i like the other point that they mentioned this article is how women are more the talkative people a group of people Mm -hmm. so they can promote things a lot better i relate it to if you go to a party the women are on the kitchen they're talking the guys are watching tv and the sports and talking sports they're not talking wine so i can relate that and see how by a group of women getting together talking about a product how it spreads and spreads the word on starts a trend yeah very interesting i also thought that something that really informs why this is happening is the way that women versus men use wine and for me i can definitely see this reflected in people that i know women tend to be i think more social you know we are much more likely to gather with our girlfriends and have a glass of wine and talk about things i don't know that guys necessarily do so much of that but we'll get together 
together and we will have a bottle of wine or have a glass of wine. And it's a much more, I think, social, convivial atmosphere. And it's very conducive to talking about wine. So I know that when I do events and if I have, especially millennial women, younger women, they're very engaged and they want to ask questions and they want to know things. And I think having that little bit of information and knowledge can drive those trends and can have people seek out information and seek out new wines. And that is part of the growing awareness of wine for the new generation, I think. Something else they had mentioned was how the industry caters to women when they're doing marketing or product design, package design. But then they also mentioned that they've made mistakes with marketing based Mm -hmm. on a woman. And I thought that was interesting because one of the things was putting certain characters on a wine. And at one time, women would fall for that on a label, seeing a cute dog or a cute cat. And then they found we're more serious drinkers. We We don't want that on our labels. But that doesn't always work because you look at Mommy's Time Out and I mean, how much of that wine do you sell? Because it has a cutesy label that's trying to appeal to women. So I didn't necessarily buy this whole women don't buy gimmicky wines because there are certainly gimmicky wines out there that the ladies definitely do fall for. And that was the first one that came to mind. Yeah, they're definitely setting the trend on packaging as far as Tiffany blue colors, rosé blade mm-hmm. colors, uh, also packaging trends. Maybe the whole can movement was for the convenience of, of women partying by a pool. Maybe. Or you at the beach. Yeah, right? it's I, can, all women. I can totally I'm see that. I'm not seeing many guys buying cans of wine to bring to a hockey night or something like <laughs> that. So I can see that. Welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. Article we ran across, which is an opinion piece from thebuyer.net, a little bit more of a European perspective, but it was about sort of global consumers starting to look more at varietal wines as opposed to wines that are named after the places that they come from. Now, this was more dealing with larger commercial wines, right, Mark? I totally agree with that. I think when people, basically the take I got from kids, people when they shop, they see Cabernet more than they see California or New Zealand or anything like that, right? Yeah, and this is totally something that we know. Americans definitely do buy their wines based on what the grape variety is. And this seems to be a bit of a change that is coming to a lot of Europeans that they are starting to do the same thing. So they talked about German consumers, Dutch consumers, Belgian consumers. It seems that a lot of their supermarket wines, because a lot of wine that is sold in both continental Europe and in the UK, a lot of their wines are sold at supermarkets. So it's a lot of private labels. It's a lot of big branding and this change that seems to be coming where it's not so much the brand of the wine, but the grape variety that is having an impact on purchasers. And they termed it super varietal. So as you mentioned, Kim, in Europe, it's very common. You just get a big bottle of Cabernet. You It doesn't say anything else, right? right. It's just It doesn't tell you varietal. where it's from. It's just, it's all about the varietal and it's big producers, mass market wine for everyday consumers consumption, which is a little different than how we drink our wines here. We have a little bit less of a wine culture as far as drinking wine every day with meals and the need for more, I think, bulk production. Like if you go to a restaurant in Italy, they're going to, and you're just going to order the house wine, they're just going to plonk a carafe of something down in the middle of the table. You're not going to say, I'd like the such and such a vintage special bottles. It's, it's everyday wine. And this leads to the whole private label topic, Kim, which we talked about in the past, where people not caring 
caring about a region don't care basically about the producer either. So you can put any private label you want on a Cabernet and people are just buying it solely because it's Cabernet. So that's why the wine clubs that are specific private labels are becoming so popular based on the soup of varietal. Right. And people are buying what they think is a particular style that they like. And in a lot of consumers' mind, style equals grape variety. So if you know you like Pinot Noir, you can feel comfortable generally buying, you know, other Pinot Noirs out there. If you like Cabernet, you see another bottle of Cabernet, you have a general idea of what that wine is going to taste like. And that's not always the case, but it's a good way to kind of get your footing and kind of figure out where you are. One of the takeaways from this article that I found very interesting was a positive note and that it's good for new and emerging countries such as countries in Eastern Europe that do have wine growing, grape growing economies, but haven't necessarily been able to do much on the international market. But now that consumers in a whole bunch of places are sort of zeroing in on grape variety, now there is a bit of a way for these countries to get their wines on those markets. Yeah, and these trends have huge global effects on the farmer level, because if they see one particular type of, say, Cabernet is trending, any vineyards that are growing some other grape are now going to start to convert over to, in four years, be stay on the trend. So it affects many industry levels of wine. Right. And it's hard for wine to follow those constantly changing trends, because like you said, it takes a while for a grapevine to start producing grapes. And if you are changing over on a whim that you have all of these grapes from a particular variety and you want to change them to another variety, well, what if that trend goes away in two years? Then you're sort of stuck with the new one. So there is a note of caution, I think, in here for for growers who are only following trends. I'll tell you how I've seen this trend at retail, Kim, is most of the bigger bulk California producers would have California, say, it would say Cabernet from California. And we're selling just as much of the product where now it says Cabernet Chile. Mm-hmm. So people are not even realizing and drinking it all the time that they're no longer even sourcing from the United States. So have you as a shopper seen things like that where you you might have bought a bottle and it was California, now it's sourced from some totally other place in the world? I've certainly seen this more back in my days of retail than as a consumer because I don't tend to buy those larger producer wines. But I think it is a little tricky for consumers because especially if you have a producer and a name that you recognize and that you've always associated with California, it's like it's a brand. And if you see that brand and you've always known that that is California juice, you're not necessarily going to look at the, the fine print and see, oh, this is not California. California Pinot Grigio. This is actually Italian Pinot Grigio. Or, oh, this isn't California Merlot. This is actually, like you said, Chilean Merlot. So you do still need to be a savvy consumer and read what's on the label. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine with Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. And if you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. And if you'd like to get more information about our show, please go to Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Next, we're going to talk about an article that was in Wine Enthusiast magazine. What does it mean when the same grape has a different name? And this is very interesting, Kim, because many grape 
types have different names in different regions or different parts of the world? This is a common question that we get, and it can be confusing for consumers to see Pinot Grigio versus Pinot Gris. Well, are they the same? Are they different? We have a lot of these grapes that are grown all over the world and might have one name in one place and another name in another place. And sometimes it's that it's just a different language, Italian versus French versus Spanish. And then other times there are actually things that you can tell about the wine just by what grape name it has on the label. So let's talk about some of the more popular things we asked a lot, Kim, and they were all hit in this article. The first was Shiraz versus Syrah. This is probably the big one. This one and Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio, I think is the one that we get questioned about the most. So let's call it Syrah just to kick it off because that is the name that it's given in its homeland, which is central France. And most of what we see for European Syrah comes from the northern Rhone Valley, which is right in the center of France. And it makes a very different style of wine there than what people are used to if they're getting it from Australia, which will usually label it as Shiraz and not Syrah. So this is a great example of of where climate, hot climate, Shiraz, cooler climate, usually Syrah. Yep, absolutely. So this is one of those things where you can tell by what the name they give to the wine is that the styles are going to be different. So if you see a wine labeled as Syrah, you should expect a little spicier, a lot of black pepper kind of flavors to it. Still a real rich, heavy red with some berry notes, but also a lot more. I get a lot of licorice out of Syrah sometimes and more of like earth tannins. So gutsy wines, big and powerful, definitely need them with food. Yeah, that's my... Yeah, I, I relate a lot to spice level, like a Shiraz, I get more of a just a spice and then Syrah, I get more of a pepper yeah, spice. Yeah, so too, Shirazes so. will usually, on the other side of the spectrum, be more jammy, like think blackberry jam or raspberry jam and still has that spice element to it, but it's more like a sweet spice. Like sometimes you'll get like, I don't know, cloves and cinnamon, sometimes some of that black pepper but yeah more of more of a spiciness and less of a of a actual pepperiness and you mentioned Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris. And I liked in this article how they mentioned it's a, a chameleon grape, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of people don't know there's so many different colors of this grape skin. So you can have an orange Pinot Grigio. You can have a very clear colored Pinot Grigio. So interesting grape. And once again, cool versus warm climate, big difference in the style. Right. So it's it's called Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio. So that means gray in Italian and French because the skin is actually sort of a grayish pinkish color. And I don't think a lot of people know that. But if you have this grape grown in a warmer or a, a sunshinier climate, you're going to get much riper fruit flavors as opposed to up in the northern mountains of Italy, you're going to get that real crisp, clean, minerally sort of Pinot Grigio that a lot of people are familiar with for the Italian style. Next one we want to talk about is Zinfandel and Primitivo. And I get a lot of shocked faces when I recommend an Italian Primitivo telling people similar to Zinfandel. Mm -hmm. The two are related. There's still some debate whether they are actually the exact same grape variety. But you do get a lot of, I think, similarities between the two. And the main difference for Zinfandel from California is that it's, again, those jammy notes. It's really warm. But Southern Italy is a really warm place too. Yeah, both warm climates and they both lead to a jammy style fruit. So they're very similar. Yeah, I think it's actually a nice introduction for people who are used to California wines and want to try something from Europe. But 
are a little bit scared as to what to try. If they like Zins, Primitivo is perfect sort of transition grape to, hey, taste something from Italy. It's not all Chianti. It's not all Sangiovese-based wines. Give a try to this because it has a lot of flavors that you already enjoy. So give a try to something new. Next was another big one that I think people get confused a lot about, Kim, is Grenache, Ganache, Cannonau. Right. Now I think you're just getting into just different languages have different names. So there are a lot of grape varieties that have a lot of synonyms that are just different in different languages. So Grenache in French, Garnacha in Spanish. But I actually find that there is a lot of similarity in flavor between the two. So Southern French wines that are based on Grenache, like Cote de Rhone's, you do see a lot of these in Languedoc, Roussillon. And I think that there's definitely a family resemblance between those wines and their Spanish brethren, I guess you could say. Yeah, I agree with that. I get major cherry on yeah. anywhere this is it, this is made. And for us as uh, wine educators, we hate that there's so many different terms for different Because we have right? to learn them all. Learn them all and <laughs> we hate that. Yeah, right? but the, the outlier here that would, does produce a wine that is a little bit different is Cannonau, which is the Italian, it's actually the Sardinian name for this grape variety. And it does produce a little bit of a different style when it's grown on Sardinia and called Cannonau. And it's called that because the Spanish at one time were in that region, so they just kept the yeah. Spanish version. Who knows? So next, Malbec versus Cot, which Cot is the French word for Malbec. Yeah, you'll see this on some labels, but you're not going to see this on too many things. I think a lot of the French producers that do make a Malbec, at least for what we see in our market here, do put Malbec on the label. And this is where, of all the lists, probably this is one where these are two different styles, depending where it's grown. If, mm-hmm. it's, if it's the French version, totally different style than Malbec that's grown in hot climate of Argentina. Absolutely. Those French ones are going to be more tannic. You're not going to get that big berry fruit like you get out of Argentina. It's, it's a little more rustic. Still a really excellent wine, but very different from what you expect from Argentina. And then finally ending with another white grape variety, Vermentino from Italy, which we know from Piedmont they call Favorita. And then you'll also see in France is they'll, they'll call it Roll, R-O-L-L-E. So the French one's definitely lighter, a little bit more for bulk production. But I think in Italy, that's where the, this grape variety really shines. Yeah. And the Italians also call it Pegato. And the big thing about Italy, there's 20 different regions. They speak 20 different dialects. So they have 20 different names for every grape. There are so many names and for Italian once grapes. once again, an educational nightmare. But we just had some Favorita the other day. And I thought it was very interesting how they want to use that term over Vermentino. But when they talk about it, they say, yeah, this is Vermentino. Right. Yeah. Well, you got to make sure that everybody knows what you're talking about. But this was a lovely, lovely wine. Nice fruit, really aromatic. I think a, a great way to get people talking about white Italian grape varieties, something other than Pinot Grigio, but there's a lot out there that's very interesting and really delicious. I was surprised in the whole article, the one thing that wasn't there was Tempranillo, because there's so mm. many different terms for Tempranillo in right. the world and in a very popular grape to use Grenache, but not Tempranillo. Right. Did you? And especially like Tempranillo produced in Spain does taste different from Tempranillo that's produced in, say, Portugal. And it's one of those grapes that you move it to the New World and you move it to California, it also produces a very different style. I think that was a good catch. Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. Please find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Leave us your questions and comments, and we'll speak to you again soon.